0: We'll pray and then we'll have a look at the word. So, if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, we're going to read from verses 12 to 18. The Bible says here, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, by which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one jesus christ therefore as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're thankful uh, for our Saviour. We're thankful for that free gift uh, that was sent uh, from heaven, Heavenly Father. We're thankful for the free gift of salvation that can only be found Uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, our Saviour. And we're so grateful, Lord, as we look into your word and uh, look at the free gift this morning, Lord. Uh, Help us to be tentative to uh, hear from your word and uh, to love it even more. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thought today would be a good day to speak about the gift of God. We know tomorrow is the uh, 25th of December where families get together and they exchange all kinds of Uh, gifts uh, to each other and it's a nice time where families come together to do this but for the most part most in the Western world at least don't really think about Christmas or the Christ in Christmas you know there's all the wrapping paper you know the kids getting excited you know the new toys all the food that comes Uh, with Christmas lunch or dinner and it is a beautiful time but for the Christian though sometimes it can be almost a kind of sad time as well when we look around at all this gift-giving and celebrating and everything that comes with Christmas even the the name of Christmas has got Christ in it and uh, you know Jesus Christ is supposed to be the whole reason for the season As a Christian, you look at all your family members, specifically the ones who who don't know the Lord as their saviour, as they hand out gifts and they exchange gifts, you can't help but think of the ultimate gift that they have possibly continued to reject. On one hand, you have joy because of, of the gift of salvation of Jesus Christ, But on the other, you're saddened by those who reject it. So the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is the ultimate gift that anybody can receive. But sadly for many, it's the one gift that they refuse to receive. So you could hold out chocolates, all kinds of gift vouchers, it could be a new car, a holiday, A new fishing rod a new surfboard a new golf club whatever it may be at Christmas time and it's going to be received with joy and Thanksgiving you know with a big smile from ear to ear but the moment you talk about or hold out the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord the mood can change very quickly See, unlike the regular gift that comes uh, at a cost usually a monetary cost the gift of God comes at a far greater cost. See, just like people who work and earn wages to save up money to buy a gift, sin is the same. It, it earns wages too, but the wages earned store up for a debt, a debt that leads to death and eternity in hell. And there's only one way to have that debt removed. There's only one payment that can pay that debt out. And that is through the gift of God received through faith in Jesus Christ. See, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For most, though, even at Christmas time, I mean, the time, the, especially the day tomorrow, out of any day, the gift should be celebrated. Most don't even care. Most people don't even care. I believe it should be celebrated every day. But the gift is held out and rejected by many. But the problem is never with the giver. Never. Or with the gift. The gift is exactly what it is. It's always going to be a beautiful gift. And that's a beautiful gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the problem is always with the one who refuses to receive it. That's where the problem lays. But we've got to never let the perceived response that you might expect from the one who's uh, going to receive salvation or Jesus Christ, you should never let that discourage you, the kind of response that you might be expecting. Because it's the very gift itself in Jesus Christ, when presented, which can humble any person. It's the very gift itself, the message, the cross of Jesus Christ itself that can change a person's mind and bring that person to salvation and bring that person to their knees. And you never know when that may be for somebody. See, sin, sin for many, will always be the barrier that stops people from coming to Jesus Christ. See, because you can't have both. You can't have both. You can't have Jesus and eternal life and still have your sin. Jesus wants to cleanse you positionally, but he also wants to cleanse you practically. Jesus just doesn't stop at the first gift of eternal life either. He is the gift that keeps on giving. He's the gift that keeps on giving to those who trust in him. The gift of God was a big cost. It was a big cost. It cost God his son, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come down to this earth and to take our sin upon him. He did it for the whole world. He did it for every single one of us. He took the sin of the whole world upon himself on that cross. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity, the sin of every one of us was laid upon Jesus Christ. The world's griefs, the world's sorrows, the cuts of the whip that we deserve for our sin, he took them. The bruises that we all deserve, he took them. The affliction we all deserve for our transgressions, he took it all upon himself. But all this is wrapped up and packaged in the gift of God. The only way that anyone in this world can be reconciled back to God is to accept the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 21, the Apostle Paul writes, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is to uh, promote and hold out the gift of reconciliation to lost sinners. Verse 19 says, That is, or to wit, that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation you don't get any clearer than that for the for the deity of christ See, god was in christ reconciling the world unto himself and if that is not in the gift that is held out to lost sinners if that truth isn't in that gift held out to lost sinners then the gift is merely an imitation of the real gift. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The JWs have an imitation. It's not the real thing. Verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's deed, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, Jesus was made sin for us. That doesn't mean that Jesus became sinful. The verse says that he knew no sin. It was our sins that he took upon himself. In that sense, God has made him to be sin for us mcdonald he says it like this we must beware of any idea that on the cross of calvary the lord jesus actually became sinful in himself such an idea is false our sins were placed on him but they were not in him what happened is that god made him to be a sin offering on our behalf trusting in him we are reckoned righteous by god the claims of the law have been fully satisfied by our substitute see the law it shows us and it proves that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none. The Lord demands judgment for anybody that breaks the law of God and everyone, everyone has broken the laws of God. And the only way to escape the judgment is to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who made himself to be sin for us. He was the substitute. The works of the law can never actually save a person. It's only through faith. Only through faith in Jesus Christ that anyone can be saved. And it's always been that way. Always. All this is wrapped up in the gift of Jesus Christ. What a gift. What a gift we have in Jesus. Turn to Galatians chapter 3 in your Bible, (coughs) Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, verse 7, it says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. See, Abraham believed in the promised seed to come, which all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what Abraham believed in. It wasn't a different belief system to what we have now. The gospel has always been the same right throughout history. This side of the cross, we have to understand that we have more information about that promised seed that was revealed. We know it's the gift of God in Jesus Christ. But the gospel, it was always the same. That beautiful gift of salvation through faith in the promised seed, which is Christ, has always been the gospel. Verse 9 says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So we see it there that if uh, anybody is trusting in any part of uh, their law-keeping for salvation, then they are required uh, to keep the whole law perfectly, without spot. Because if you're going to live by that rule as a means for salvation... Then you'd, be be, you'd better be perfect I mean perfect but there is no one there is no one that has done that in fact if you claim you can do that and that's how you are justified before God then you are under the curse of the law that's what it's saying verse 12 and the law is not a faith but the man that doeth them shall live in them that's Paul here is referring uh, to the law of Moses in Leviticus 18:5, where the law states, uh, sorry the Lord states, he says, "Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, I am the Lord." Bible believer's commentary says about this here, he says, Moses writes, that the man who achieves the righteousness which the Lord demands shall live by doing so." The emphasis is on his achieving, on his doing. Of course, this statement presents an ideal which no sinful man can meet. All it is saying is that if a man could keep the law perfectly and perpetually, he would not be condemned to death. But the law was given to people who were already sinners, are already sinners, and who were already condemned to death. Even if they could keep the law perfectly from that day forward, they still would be lost because God requires payment for those sins which are past. Any hopes that men have for obtaining righteousness by the law are doomed to failure from the outset. That's from the Bible believers' commentary. How true. That brings us to verse 13. <coughs> Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. The Apostle Paul, he's referring to Deuteronomy. Chapter 21, where it's written in the law given to Moses, Deuteronomy 21, uh, 22-23 says, And if a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall remain all night upon the tree, but but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." So when Jesus hung there on that wooden cross, he took the punishment that the law demands. That's what he did. We have all broken God's laws and we should be the curse of God hung out on a tree according to the law. But Jesus, he made himself a curse for us. Therefore, fulfilling all the demands of the law for cursed sinners, Colossians 2.13-14 we read and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross the demands of the law for all trespasses all sin have been taken away by Jesus Christ and nailed to his cross This is the gift of God to all sinners if you would simply repent, believe, and receive the free gift of forgiveness of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what is uh, wrapped up in the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. is the forgiveness of sins. I see a strange thing happening. I see a strange thing happening these days. There are people that are preaching the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ without preaching the need to be broken over their sin. And if you think about that for a moment, maybe i just think a little bit too simplistic about these things, but it doesn't even work in an earthly scenario, let alone in a heavenly one. You know, imagine walking up to somebody, you know, punching them right in the nose. And they fall down, then you give them a good kicking while they're down and then you run off with their wallet. You know, then you hear through the grapevine that that person that you did that to wants to forgive you. Not only that, you also hear they want to help you with your anger problems and so forth. You know, you know what you've done is wrong. You know that what you deserve you know, if they're going to take it to the police. So you think, well, you know, well, I should go back. I suppose. You know, but you're still indifferent about it. You're still kind of indifferent about it. You know, so you go to the person, you know, you still got their wallet in your back pocket. You know, as you approach them and you see all the cuts and the bruises, you know that you're afflicted, but you have this attitude of, well, you know, well, well it looks bad what I've done, but I don't think I broke any bones, so I couldn't be that bad. And the person just looks at you and says, "I forgive you, and I want to help you." You know, they're not even asking for you to return the wallet, even though it's still sitting in your back pocket. And you go, Oh, thanks, mate, that's really nice. That's really nice of you. You know, thanks, thanks for your forgiveness. As you walk away. Now you might even pull out their wallet out of your back pocket and say, look, here's ten bucks for your trouble. Yeah, but I you know, I thank you for your, your forgiveness. That's the kind of attitude I see a lot today in professing Christianity. They're not truly broken over their sin and the way they've treated God. They want the forgiveness of sin, but they are not truly remorseful and and prepared to enrol in the sanctification program that Jesus wants to do in their life. See, for some people, things never change, and they don't want to change. We have Christians now that were once a DJ. This is happening. I've seen this happening. That were once a DJ at nightclubs. And the only thing that has changed... Is that they are now a Christian DJ at nightclubs. But it's even worse, they bring their dirty, rotten trade into the church, into youth groups. And on a Friday night, the church youth group is imitating what's going on in the nightclubs. You know, they're jumping around in the dark, the filthy music and the filthy dance moves, all the strobe lights and so on. It might be toned down a little, you know, to some degree. But it's just prepping all these kids for the dirty nightclubs. We have Christian swimsuit photographers, you know, taking pictures of women in skimpy swimwear and clothing. Yet they're Christians. Christians. Christian bikers who mimic the real bikers, dressing up the same, trying to look like the tough guy. Christian yoga teachers. Christian rock stars, Christian drunkards, Christian fornicators, people living in fornication yet they call themselves a Christian justifying it. It doesn't end. There is even Christian practitioners of Buddhism. Now if you practice Buddhism you're not a Christian. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols, the Bible says? You can't be both. It's just that simple. So the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is just the beginning of what God wants to do in our lives. See, God wants to pull us out of the world and its lusts. He wants to pull us out of the world. He doesn't want us to conform to it because Jesus is the gift that just keeps on giving. See, along with eternal life comes the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, is called holy because that's exactly what God is. God is holy. I like what the Webster's 1828 uh, description of the word holy uh, says is this. Properly, whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense, hence pure in heart, temper, or dispositions free from sin and sinful affections applied to the supreme being holy signifies perfect perfectly pure immaculate and complete in moral character and man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions we call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of god and his life is regulated by the divine precepts hence holy is used as nearly synonymous with good or pious or godly. See, I think some people forget that the Holy Spirit is one of the gifts that God gives to those that believe. See, God doesn't just promise to give this gift to some believers and not others. He gives it to all believers. All believers in Jesus Christ who are truly saved have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. We see it first given in Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, 36 to 39. We read, therefore, this is uh, Peter uh, speaking. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. <coughs> here's me, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So what a promise, what a gift! You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there should be some evidence of that in the life of a believer. You know, we've got to understand this: that no one will ever be as holy as God. No Christian will ever be as holy as the Holy Ghost that indwells within them. But that doesn't negate the fact that Christians have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in them. Working with them and in and through the word of god to mold them and conform them to the image of god that's what the holy spirit's job is you know if that's not happening uh, to some degree then you either haven't got it or you're quenching the work that god wants to do in your life but if your life is just one big quench that's all it is and it just looks no different from the world or well, you've got to ask yourself the question, do you have the gift of the Holy Spirit? Do you have the gift of the Holy Ghost? It's the Holy Spirit's job uh, to separate Christians from sinners. And he does that by guiding them through his word. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 14. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? So yoked yoke together, it means that you're alongside uh, of them doing the same thing. That's what happens if you're yoked together with somebody or just you're doing the same thing. You know, when two bulls are yoked up together pulling a car, which one's pulling the car? Well, they both are. Yeah, both of them are. You can't tell the difference. But believers shouldn't be pulling the same card of unrighteousness as unbelievers. They shouldn't be. Verse 15, And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look at this: Wherefore come out from among them and be, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, we'll look at chapter one. See, so Jesus Christ, he's the gift that just keeps on giving. We'll read from verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith under salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold, tempta- through manifold temptations. You know, but that's, that's what the Christian life looks like. You know, There's temptations all around for the Christian. Temptations to sin, temptations uh, from persecutions, even temptations to throw in the town. There are manifold temptations. That's what it's saying here. But look at this, verse seven: that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love; in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with unspeakable, uh, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Look at this, verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, what a gift we have as believers! Even the angels are amazed at what God is doing in the life of believers even the angels it says there see we have an inheritance reserved in heaven incorruptible undefiled that fadeth not away we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time what a gift we're told to gird up the loins of our mind Gird up the loins of our mind. When someone girds up their loins, that that means they're ready to move. Our mind should be prepared and ready to meet our Saviour. We need to understand that that looks like something. It actually looks like something. Someone who is prepared to meet their Saviour with the Holy Spirit working in and through them, through His Word, they separate themselves from unrighteous things of this world. And those lusts that once kept you in bondage. Verse 13 again says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, (coughs) and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does that hope look like for the Christian? While they wait to meet their Saviour, what does that hope look like? Look at verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be ye holy for i am holy see that ought to be the desire of every blood-bought believer in jesus christ to be conformed to the image of his savior to be holy for he is holy to allow the holy spirit of god to work in our lives through his word that we may be a light to the lost and not a hindrance because if you don't allow the Lord to do that in your life you're just going to be a hindrance to the lost you won't be a help but what a gift we have with the Holy Spirit that allows us to even do that that's a gift from God look at chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 Verse twenty-five. Sorry, verses one to twenty-five. We look at this. Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, look at this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be, look at this, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. See if you haven't tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you haven't truly understood how much God loved us through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on that cross then the desire for the Word of God it just won't be there. The desire to grow won't be there. You can't grow as a Christian apart from the Word of God. So just like the desire of a newborn baby at feeding time connected to their mother's breast to receive the nutrients that they need to grow, we need to have that same desire when it comes to the word of God. We need to be connected to the word of God, like that baby. Verse 4, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. See, that's another thing. If you don't see that Jesus Christ is precious, then the desire won't be there won't be there because he's precious our saviour is precious verse 5 ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ wherefore also it is contained in the scripture behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded verse 7 unto you therefore which believe he believe he is precious but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of of offence even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed but look at this but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood Holy nation, a peculiar people. A peculiar people. That means that you are different. You're different. I mean, a lot different, as light is from darkness. That ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not attained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Now look at this, so dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Look at this, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, uh, they speak against you as evil doers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So you're not going to be spoken of uh, as an evil evildoer by the ungodly if you're yoked up together with them, pulling the same cart of unrighteousness. You'll only be spoken evil of by evildoers if you say, no, I'm not that yoking up with you to do that. I'm, I'm not going to be pulling that same cart as you are that's when the ungodly will call you an evildoer. But you don't compromise to win them. It says there that it will be your uncompromising position that you may win them. That they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. See everyone will be visited by God in some way or another. It's either going to be when they come to God in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, or it's going to be when they are face to face with his judgment. But either way, they're going to have to face God. Verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. <coughs> this little uh, passage here was been uh, ripped out of its context a lot. Now, we are uh, called to submit ourselves to the laws of the land where we live. You know, of course, we are to do that. That means when the laws of the land are not butting heads with God's laws. That's what that means. Now, God's laws are, are first and foremost. Uh, believers all around the world uh, live in different countries with differing laws, differing, differing laws of the land. You know, and some laws are more in accordance with God laws, God's laws than others. But uh, some people take this passage and uh, use it to justify uh, submitting to ungodly laws just because the law of a country uh, may have a law that's not in accordance with God's laws doesn't mean that we just submit to it that's not what it's saying it's simply saying for example if a country has an ordinance where you have to stop at a red light at traffic lights then stop that's what it's saying you're not going to find it in the bible to stop at a red traffic light it's an ordinance of man but what it's saying is obey it it's not butting heads with the laws of God that's all the passage means verse 15 For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults you shall take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it you shall take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. In other words, if you are a hired hand in the workplace, do your work well. Do it as under the Lord. Even if the boss gives you grief, and wrongfully accuses you you don't want to do what the world does and just jump up or down and scream about it take it patiently with a good conscience toward God verse 21 for even here unto were you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Look at this, here it is, who, who his own self bear our sins on his own body, on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by, by whose stripes we were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. So we see there in verse 24, that the reason we should live under righteousness is because of what Jesus has done for us. That should be our reason. Positionally, our sin has been dealt with on the cross. We have been made dead to sin. But that's not so that we can now live in sin and that's, that somehow God is you know, okay with that. No, it says that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. It is by his stripes we are forgiven of our sins. It's by what Jesus endured on the cross that we are healed from sin. Therefore, that should, if you love the gift, if you love the gift, if we are obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost working in and through us, if we have believed and loved the gift, it should cause us to live unto righteousness. Because that's part of the gift that comes with eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord the question is do you see that as a gift? as I've said some people they want the gift of eternal life but they don't want the whole package but there's nothing wrong with the whole package if you love the giver of eternal life if the gift wrapping itself is eternal life then you can't wait to see what's inside Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, that uh, what is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, that he that ascended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Albert Barnes says about this, When Christ ascended to heaven, he triumphed over all his foes. It was a complete victory over the malice of the great enemy of God and over those who had sought his life but he did more he rescued those that were the captives of satan and led them in triumph man was held by satan as a prisoner his chains were around him christ rescued the captive prisoner and designed to make him a part of his triumphal triumphal procession into heaven that thus the victory might be complete triumphing not only over the great foe himself but swelling his procession with the attending host of those who had been the captives of Satan, now rescued and redeemed. See, It wasn't just the gift of eternal life that Jesus came to give. He came to give gifts unto men. Jesus came not only to justify sinners, but also to sanctify sinners. And that's something that starts here on earth. Look at verse 11. (coughs) And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Well, why did he do that? You know, if we have the gift of eternal life, why do we need all these? because some people who call themselves Christians couldn't care less about these gifts. They despise evangelists, they don't want to sit under pastors and teachers, they don't care what the prophets prophets have said in God's word, they don't care about the apostles' doctrine. But to those who hold Jesus as precious, who love the gift, he's the gift that keeps on giving. Verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, look at this, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling that means they used to feel have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But look at this, it says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created look at this, in righteousness and true holiness. See what Paul is saying here Is that this is a no-brainer he's saying that if you say that you have learned heard Christ and have been taught by him as in the truth of Jesus and and yet have no desire to put off uh, the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and have no desire to put on the new man which is after God created in Christ Jesus and true holiness then you have not so learned Christ you you haven't learned Christ really You haven't really understood the preciousness of that gift. Because that is what Christ is about. That is what the gift is about. That's what's in the whole package of Jesus Christ. Look at uh, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 6. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God let no man deceive you with vain vo- vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience so there's going to be uh, vain men that try to deceive you and say things like all you got to do is just believe in Jesus I mean, that's true. That statement is true. All you you have to do is believe in Jesus. I'm not doubting that. But what is it that you believe about Jesus? What is it that you believe about Jesus? Do you just want the first gift of eternal life? Is that what it is? Because living for the Lord is a gift too. That's a gift as well. Verse 7 says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye, now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit, look at this, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doeth, uh, whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See, there's another there's another gift right there. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. (coughs) Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Look at this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So do you know why that the commandments of God are not grievous to the ones who love the Lord? Do you know why? It's because they see them as a gift. They see the commandments of God as a gift. They're not grievous. They don't see Him as grievous. They see them as part of the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Eternal life. And then God gives us his goodness in the way to live. And if you love the gift, and you love the gift giver, you'll see that as a gift. Verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is is the son of God so the fact that God would not only save us from our sins but also show us the way to live and then by his power working in and through us by the Holy Spirit the gift of God that he gives us enabling us to live for him to be overcomers this is the gift of God that just keeps on giving True faith in Jesus Christ will see the whole package as a beautiful gift. I hope that's how you see it today. Let's pray.